Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Lord Jesus, we are broken vessels, weak vessels, failing vessels. But out of our brokenness, out of our darkness, you have called us. You are our redeemer, our restorer. You have raised us to new life. Lord Jesus, we give you all the praise and glory. You are a living hope. What amazing grace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Right, are you seated, everybody? Hello, church family. It's great to be here. (laughs) I'm actually filling in for Dan today, which is a good thing, as you heard. Uh, Dan's mother-in-law has come down with COVID, as has Gary. Gary was going to be at Thornley today. Uh, Pastor Nick Scott's sister, Lindy, was going to be emceeing it. Thornley today, but she's not so well, so our intern, Harry, is stepping in for her. But it's great to be here. Welcome to those people who are online and streaming this service now. So welcome to you. Uh, Welcome to everybody. Welcome if it's your first time here. Uh, I hope you're not too nervous. it's, <laughs> it's my first time uh, bringing the message here at Burragoon. Uh, I hope I'm not too nervous either. Uh, so far, so good. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm Craig Siggins. So I'm the campus pastor at our Thornley Community Church. My wife is Lynn. I think she'll be here for our second service. And I'll have two sons, Josh and Joel. Now, I've been associated with Mount Pleasant Baptist Church since I first came in about 1966, which, if you do your maths, is something like 56 years ago. So I came here as a little boy. I was probably a little bit naughty, but (laughs) not too naughty as my mother was Dorothy Siggins, and some of you will know Dorothy. And you didn't mess with her. Well... She's 97 and would still be attending now, except for uh, COVID and then some mobility problems. But David Griffiths, my old Sunday school teacher, may also be here, so I still have to be a bit careful even today. (laughs) It's like I've come full circle. Back to my old church, the church I was in when I came to faith and where I was baptised, Uh, Pastor Fred Stone baptised me, and where I was nurtured and mentored by so many uh, people at Mount Pleasant, Uh, Arthur and Dorothy Henderson, Len and Bernice Ravenscroft, Vern and Evelyn Ingram, Ken and Lel Wright, Jim and Ruth Taylor, Fred and Pauline Stone, to name but a few from my early days at Mount Pleasant. When I was at Mount Pleasant, I got involved in uh, many activities of the church, such as youth group and young adults. We put on a few productions, 
Samson was one. Now, you may laugh now, but back then I had a full head of hair down to my shoulders, and I had to put a fake bald head on to play the part of Samson. (laughs) Now, of course, I would have to put a fake head of hair on. Anyway, I was also Mr. Basketball at uh, Mounties in the 70s and up to 1980. We had a number of teams, and I was player, coach, umpire, manager, all in one. I coached Phil Taylor, who's often on our sound desk, but he's over at Thornley today. I was also, look, I'll confess this, I was also a bit of a basketball hog. Look at this score sheet from, here we are, 19. I don't know if you can see that, but up the top in scroll is my name, and you can see a lot of points there. I actually scored 28 out of our 31 points. What a guts! <laughs> the next name on that score sheet is my younger brother Hayden. I didn't even let him score. Now, I might have been a success, but my team failed. And against Riverton Baptist of all teams. <laughs> but I loved my basketball, and I loved Mounties. And you know, even when I left Mounties, uh, and went to teach at a Christian Aboriginal school in Kilgardie, and then went to Bible college, and then helped pastor an Aboriginal church up in Derby, and then served with ABMS, which has changed its name to GIA, and now it's uh, Baptist Mission Australia. Even when I was uh, working with ABMS or GIA, or now Baptist Mission Australia, I was with the Māori Aboriginal people in uh, Newman in our northwest, Mount Pleasant Baptist Church continued to support my wife and I, financially and in prayer. And several teams from Mounties came up to visit us at Newman, including one led by Pastor Nick Scott. This was the time when there was a revival in the northwest and Many indigenous people came to the Lord and were baptised. I'm talking hundreds here. This is that team. Jeff Burgle, you can see him second on the right in the white striped shirt. I think he's, I'm not sure if he's still in the hospital or no, but there he is, Jeff. Well done, Jeff. And that's Nick kneeling down in the middle there in the white T-shirt. I think he's let his standards slip when he went up. He should have been wearing a suit and tie, but there he is. Uh, Unfortunately, the young Matu man standing on the left has passed away. But his wife, Joanne, and we call her J.A., is sitting to, just to the right of Nick on the ground. You can just see her there. And then she lives in Perth now, and I often see her. And I call her my youngest sister, or Malaju. Mounties also helped to get a bus for our ministry. And here it is, getting to, ready to leave from the old Rogerson Road Church building. Of course, that building is no longer there. It's just a bare bit of ground. Uh, my older brother, Paul, is on the left. Michael Lush is next. Then Pastor Nick Scott. Then my mother. Uh, then Jeff and Marie Burgle. My wife, Lynn. Dennis Fells. And I'm not sure who's that standing at the back, but there we are. So, given all that positive introduction, what I want to talk to you about today, of course, is failure. Failure means different things to different people. 
It has been said that doctors' failures are found in the morgue, lawyers' failures are in prison, carpenters' failures turn to sawdust, plumbers' failures become broken pipe dreams, painters' failures are brushed away, my son's a painter, there we go, uh, electricians' failures, well, they're just shocking, and politicians' failures are just denied. <laughs> failure. What failure? We just didn't implement non-core policies. <laughs> and what about you, though? What about you? Where are your failures? What are your failures? As Christine said, it's something close to all our hearts because we all fail, don't we? Failures at school, failures at exams, failures at work, failures in relationships, failures as a husband or a wife, failures as a parent, being too strict, being too lenient, letting kids watch too much TV or use their devices too often, not being there for them. Or being there too much, doting on our kids, spoiling them and wrapping them in cotton wool. So I want to talk to you about failure. In particular, spiritual failure. Failure before God. Now, I have failed. Many times I promised God I wouldn't sin, but did. Many times I promised God I would pray more, read my Bible more, be a better husband or a better father or better friend, but I didn't. I failed. We have all failed. We have all failed God. We have failed to measure up to God's standards. We have failed and fallen short, and it is only by God's grace through Jesus Christ that our failure is not counted against us. In the world's way of thinking, the opposite of failure is success. Your company goes bankrupt, failure. Your company thrives and grows, success. You get 28% on an exam, failure. You top the class with 98%, success. Your AFL team flops and doesn't even make it to the finals, failure. So of course you adopt the Dockers motto, which is, as you know, there's always next year. <laughs> the Dockers just happen to be my team. And if making the finals is some sort of success, then the Dockers, Dockers had some this year, of course. But if you're Geelong, the oldest team in the competition, and you somehow not only get to the grand final, but romp it in, well, success. It has been said that if at first you don't succeed, then you are about average. <laughs> it's also been said, and this is good advice, if at first you don't succeed, don't take up skydiving. The Christian view of success is different to that of the world. We are willing to be persecuted 
for the sake of the gospel, willing to be martyred, willing to take up the cross, willing to serve others, willing to forgive, to welcome strangers, to care for the weak and needy. In ancient Rome, there was this terrible plague. The rich and well-to-do fled from the city. Even the pagan priests fled. But Christians stayed to tend and care for the sick and dying. And of course, many of the Christians also became sick and died as well. The Christian view of success is different. Here's an extract from One Solitary Life by James Francis that some of you will know. A child is born in an obscure village. He he is brought up in another obscure village. He works in a carpenter's shop until he is 30, and then for three brief years is an itinerant preacher. He never writes a book. He never holds an office. He never raises an army. He never has a family of his own. He never owns a home. He never goes to college. He gathers a little group of friends about him. One denies him. One betrays him. That solitary person, of course, is Jesus. Not very successful from a worldly perspective. We cannot measure our success from a worldly perspective. Our so-called success is different. But I think spiritually and relationally speaking, from a Christian perspective, the opposite of failure is not so much success, but rather restoration and renewed relationship. If success is about fame and fortune, money and materialism, then that is not for the Christian. George Best, the famous soccer player, said, I spent a lot of money on booze, birds and fast cars. The rest I just squandered. That is not how we measure success. Our success as Christians, in inverted commas, is our deepening relationship with God, which is our series title, Go Deeper into Jesus. And for that to happen, the opposite of failure is forgiveness. The opposite of failure is forgiveness. God's forgiveness through Jesus that frees us from our faults, our flops, our feeble human failings and fallenness. In short, our spiritual failure. Which brings us to today's reading. This is a story of Peter's greatest failure, his thrice denial of Jesus and his forgiveness by Jesus and his restored relationship with him. And, and for Peter, you can put in my name there, Craig, I have failed. Or put your name there, your failure can be forgiven. So here's some background. Peter the Apostle, we might call him Peter the Impetuous, or Peter the Bold and Brash, or even Peter the Rash. Remember, Peter's the one who jumped over the side of a boat and actually walked on water, when Jesus called him until he took his eyes off Jesus. 
It was this Peter who said to Jesus, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Mark 14, 29, which was Peter's response when Jesus said to his disciples, all of you will desert me. All of you will desert me. Jesus then says prophetically to Peter, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny three times that you even know me. To which Peter replies, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And what happened? As we probably know, it happened just as Jesus predicted. Peter was actually brave enough to go uh, to the high priest's courtyard uh, as Jesus was being tried. And he was warming himself at a fire, a charcoal fire, it's noted in John's Gospel, and I'll, and I'll make reference to that later, so keep that in mind. First, Peter denies he knows Jesus to a servant girl, then to some others, then to some other bystanders. Three times he denies knowing Jesus, and then the cock, the rooster crowed. And the scripture says, Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you'll disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Imagine the heartache and anguish of Peter. Peter the impetuous, but also Peter the close friend of Jesus. One of the three closest disciples to Jesus, along with James and John. He has just three times disowned and denied all knowledge of Jesus. What torment of soul. What torment of soul. How would you feel if your best, best friend did that to you? Craig, Craig Siggins, nah, don't know him from a bar of soap. How would you feel? Judas betrayed Jesus and was so tormented by it that he took his own life. What could Peter do to make it right? Anything? Nothing? He was in the depths of despair. And perhaps you have been in that place and wept tears of despair at your sin and failure and brokenness. I have. What could repair Peter's despair? What can repair ours? Is there hope? Yes. Listen to this story of restoration from chapter 21 of John's Gospel, the last chapter in this Gospel. And this chapter comes after the risen Jesus has appeared to his disciples, including the one called Doubting Thomas. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, we were able to do, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Chapter 21 actually begins with Peter and some of the other disciples going fishing in a boat. They fished all night and caught nothing. Then someone on the shore calls out and says, if they cast the nets again, they will be successful. So they do, and they are. They caught so many fish, 153 to be exact, that they're unable to pull them into the boat. One of the disciples says, it's the Lord. And at that, Peter jumps overboard and wades to shore. Come and have breakfast, says Jesus, for it was indeed the Lord. And Jesus cooks some bread and fish and gives it to them. He cooks it on a charcoal fire. So there are two things here. The first is a direct reminder of the calling of Simon Peter by Jesus. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, it tells us that when Jesus first called Simon Peter to him, Simon Peter had fished all night long then too and caught nothing then either. So Jesus told him to let down his nets again. He does and he catches so many that the nets almost break. So that's when Jesus first calls Peter. And now here it is again, the great catch of fish, just like that first time. It is like Jesus is reminding Peter about his first call to follow him. And maybe for us, we need to be reminded of our first call, of our first love for Jesus, if we are to go deeper into him and not just splash around in the shallows. The second reminder here for Peter is the charcoal fire. This is the only other time in the Gospels where a charcoal fire is mentioned. The other time was when? When he denied Jesus. Yes, when Peter denied Jesus in the high priest's courtyard. The scene is set to remind Peter of the time of his great failure, his three big denials. And if the Holy Spirit reminds us of our sin and of our failure, it is not so that we wallow in them, but so that we can overcome them and the guilt and that shame that go with them. It is so we can go deeper into Jesus. Come Holy Spirit, remind us. It is so we can have victory in Jesus Paul said, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Yes. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. So failure need not be final, for God can forgive. Failure is not forever when it comes to God's forgiveness. Yeah. Having been reminded of his calling and reminded of his denial, Jesus takes Peter aside and asks him three times, do you love me? Now, we might be thinking, especially us men, well, that's not a very blokey thing to ask. <laughs> but 
But love here means more than just fondness and liking. It means devotion, commitment, and faith in one's master. So Jesus is asking Peter, are you devoted to me and my teaching? Are you committed to me and my message? Do you love me? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three. Now he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? No wonder Peter was hurt and cut up when Jesus asked him the third time. It hit him right between the eyes. The first time Jesus asked this, do you love me more than these? What did he mean? Was he pointing at the boat and nets and saying, do you love me more than these? Your work, your business, your old way of life? Possibly. Or was he indicating the other disciples saying, is your love for me greater than your love for these disciples, your fishing buddies? Perhaps. Or was he saying, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? And maybe all three meanings have some truth. But the last is perhaps most likely and parallels Peter's boast that if everyone else deserts you, I never will. I, Peter, I will love you to the end. This Peter who failed and deserted Jesus, just as the others did. And what about you? How great is your love and commitment to Jesus? Is it greater than for your possessions? Is it greater than for your responsibilities? Is it greater than your other relationships? For every denial Peter made, there is a question about Peter's love for Jesus. Essentially a question about his ongoing commitment and faith in Jesus. And there is a task to feed or take care of the sheep. The sheep are the church. The sheep is us. The family of God. I am the good shepherd, said Jesus. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And that's Jesus' commission for Peter. Be the shepherd of the flock. Be the pastor to the church. And in turn, Peter passes on to other church leaders, as you read in 1 Peter 5, 2, where he says, Be shepherd of God's flock that is under your care. And we, like Peter, have been commissioned for a task. Even with, or even despite our failings, we are called to follow him. Our call is to come to Jesus and then to follow him, even if that means taking up our cross and enduring opposition and struggle to do so. And it seems like it is becoming harder to follow Jesus. We live not just in a post-Christian society, but in one in which it is increasingly anti-Christian and intolerant of Christianity. Just ask Andrew Thorburn. In verses 18 to 19, Jesus is telling Peter that he too will be martyred for following Jesus. And tradition has it that he was crucified but upside down. Now some of you will know that Jesus uses two different words for love when he addresses Peter. The first two times it is agape, and the third time it is filio, but each time Peter replies with that word filio in the Greek. Now agape took on in the early church the meaning of selfless Christian love, but filio was used as well, perhaps with a sense of brotherly love or love like that of a close friend. 
So the suggestion is that twice Jesus asked Peter if his love for him is that selfless, sacrificial kind of love. To which Peter replies that, well, he loves him like a brother. And the third time Jesus asked Peter if he really even loves him like a brother. Which is why Peter is so hurt. And I kind of like this interpretation. It's the one I grew up with, really. But others have said the opposite, that agape was used in a more general sense as a, as a, as a general word for love. Well, filio was the love of an intense and close nature. So Jesus is saying twice to Peter, do you love me in a general sort of way? To which Peter replies, no, I love you like a close brother. And the third time Jesus says, well, do you really even like, love me like a close brother? And Peter replies, yes, that's what I've been saying. You know that I do, which also has some merit. <laughs> but most commentators and translators these days say that agape and filio are used interchangeably in John's gospel and the terms are pretty much synonymous and are here used stylistically and interchangeably. In fact, two different Greek words for no are also used by Peter in this passage when he says, you know that I love you, but the meaning is essentially the same. And Jesus uses different words to describe Peter's task. Sheep, lambs, feed, uh, take care of. But essentially Jesus is saying the same thing to Peter. And so it's suggested with the words for love. So I think the main point here is that the three questions of Jesus to Peter mirror the three denials. And that is what upsets Peter. But it, but it is as if Jesus is saying to Peter, three times you denied me. So now three times I want you to recommit to me. He wants Peter to come to terms with his past failure. Jesus is about restoring Peter and forgiving him. He is about reinstating Peter, about recommissioning him into his ministry, his pastoral ministry. And what he can do for Peter, he can do for you. If you've failed him, he will forgive you. If you've let him down, he'll restore you and renew his relationship with you. If you've denied him, he will gently pick you up and bring you back into the fold. Peter at the end is called, or is that recalled? Maybe it's a total recall like the Arnie movie. <laughs> Peter is called once again to follow Jesus. Follow me, says Jesus. And maybe he's calling us to do that again. That's the call for you and me. Follow Jesus. Go deeper into him. Now, as it's my want, I've written a little poem from the perspective of Jesus with a bit of poetic license. So I'm just going to read that out. Peter, Peter, why do you teeter on the edge of faith, twisting and turning like an egg beater, denying, defying your faith, assisting Satan? Three times before the crock crew, you said that you never knew me. Simon, son of John, where has your love gone? Do you love me? Is it real? Like a rock, it was sure, it was strong. What went wrong that you let Satan steal it away? 
Didn't you say you'd never leave or disown or desert or grieve me? Simon Peter, Simon Peter, what could be sweeter than following me, feeding my sheep? If you dare, if you care, don't be a retreater. Simon Peter, look after my lambs. Keep your faith firm, for I forgive your hollow denial at my trial. Simon Peter, just follow me. My friend, my friend, will your faith bend and break? Will you forsake me and flee, or like a strong tree stand firm to the end of your life? Through the strife, what will it be? For I know you are frail. And if you fail and fall, I'll forgive and restore if you just call me. I want to finish with a prayer, and this will also lead into our communion. So if you've got your communion cups there, maybe just those little bits on top are a little bit tricky to open sometimes, aren't they? Um, so just uh, try and get that little bit of top, little plasticky bit off and ready and for your wafer, and then the other bit will come, hopefully. So this prayer is going to be up on the screen. And I want us to pray this together if you are able. So we're going to look up the screen. You can say it out loud or you can say it quietly in your hearts just as our communion people come around if anyone else missed out on those cups. All right, let's say it together with me. This, uh, uh, this is a Puritan prayer, by the way, which I found. It's called The Deeps. It's about going deeper into Jesus. Let's go. Lord Jesus, give me a deeper repentance, a horror of sin. Give me a deeper trust. Give me a deeper knowledge of thyself as Saviour, Master, Lord, and King. Give me a deeper power in private prayer. More sweetness in thy word. Give me a deeper holiness in speech, thought, action. Quarry me deep, dear Lord, and then fill me to overflowing with living water. Amen. So communion is for all those who love and follow the Lord Jesus. Let me just read from 1 Corinthians, as well-known words. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Let's just pause and reflect on your sin and failure before God and then ask for forgiveness and repentance before you take the bread or the wafer. And after that, we'll drink 
the cup together. As those who love the Lord Jesus, let us drink together joyfully. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your great love for us. Lord, we can give back just a little of that love for you. Lord, we want to go deeper into you. We want to know you more. We want to love you more. Lord, if we have failed, restore us. Bring us close to you. <clears throat> Bring us back to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for your blood shed for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.